0: Amen. I'm just so grateful for the mercy of Jesus that we're not who we used to be. We've been washed. We've been changed. We've been forgiven all by his grace and for his glory. How kind and faithful is our God. You know, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, my older sister babysat me during the summers while my parents were at work. And each morning when my sister and I would wake up on our kitchen table, there was a list of chores that my mom had left for us to do. Now, you would think that to start your day, you would begin by getting all of those things done so that you can do the rest of the things that you would want to do. But do you think we did that? No, No, we were not that wise. We decide, you know what, we're gonna do other things. We'll watch some TV, we'll play some board games. I'd go out and play sports with my friends. But then at a time that I did not expect, I saw my mom's car coming right into the driveway. You can imagine the fear and panic when it hit me. Oh snap, I did not do my chores, okay? Well, that is a picture of Mark chapter 13. In Mark 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his return. And we do not know the day or the hour of his return, but he tells his people, be ready, be alert, for you don't know when I am coming. That's what I want you to see is that Jesus is coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords who will rescue his people and usher us into his new kingdom. And we're going to go be with him forever. But until that day, what are we to be doing? Well, Jesus tells us in Mark 13. Let me show you. Grab your Bible. And turn with me to Mark chapter 13. We are working our way as a faith family through the gospel of Mark and studying this great gospel. We are finishing up chapter 13 today in our mini-series, It's the End of the World as We Know It. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, you can go back and listen to them on our website, on iTunes, or on our Westwood app. As we have seen through the end of chapter 11, all the way up through chapter 12, Jesus has had a long day of teaching. He has been in the temple, he has been teaching about the kingdom, and he has been refuting the religious leaders of his day. After a day full of teaching, he retreats with his disciples out of the, uh, the temple complex up onto the Mount of Olives. While up on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is surveying the the landscape of the temple across the Kidron Valley, and his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, ask him two questions. What and when? What are the signs that the end is about to happen, and when will these things take place? Well, he describes the signs of the times of what is going to be the beginning of what Jesus calls the birth pains, what this is going to look like before he returns. We see that in verses 5 through 13. He speaks of coming wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines, and these are just the warm-up. Persecution will arise against his followers. He says, verse 13, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Question Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the day in which you will be hated for being a follower of Jesus? Do not wait until that time comes to prepare yourself. It begins right here and now as a follower of Christ saying, I'm following Jesus, even though none go with me, I will follow. Even though I go through persecution and trial and tribulation, I'm remaining steadfast with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make your decision now. I'm going to be faithful even in the midst of persecution. Even though my family abandons me. Even though my friends rise up against me. Even though I face persecution and challenge, I'm staying with Jesus because Jesus is staying with me. But then we see where he begins to describe something else that's going to take place. He describes it as the abomination of desolation, verse 14. When you see the Antichrist standing in the temple where he should not be, you can know that the end is near. False messiahs and false prophets are going to arise. But after that tribulation, verse 24, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not shed its light. Stars will be falling falling from the sky. There will be cosmic chaos, as we saw last week, that will occur. And as all of these things are happening, I want you to notice how Jesus describes the timing of his return. Look with me in Mark 13, beginning with verse 32. Jesus says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch. Be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning." Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. At the end of his teaching here, Jesus addresses the unknown date and time of his return. But he also addresses what his followers are to be doing when he comes. So the question is, what should we as followers of Christ be doing as we prepare for Jesus's return? I'll put this in your notes. The first is this, keep your head up because Jesus is coming soon. In verse 32, he says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. The disciples asked Jesus all the way back in verse four about a specific date of when these things will happen. Well, Jesus says that day or hour, no one knows. Now, y'all, there have been hundreds of false prophets who have sought to make book deals and make lots of money off of forecasting of when the return of Jesus would be. They'll have charts and graphs and say, according to my calculations, this is when the return of Jesus is going to take place. Y'all, don't buy those books, don't buy those magazines. Don't fall in line with these conspiracy theorists who who call themselves preachers or prophets because guess what? Jesus says here, no one knows. That should be enough, by the way. If Jesus says no one knows, that should be sufficient. You see, those who claim to know the date are either delusional or deceptive, okay? Either they're crazy or they're a con artist, Okay, if someone tells you the exact date of Jesus' return, just get up and walk out. You see, several weeks later, after saying these words here, verse 32 with his disciples, Jesus gathers his disciples up on the mountain before his ascension back up into heaven. And he says in Acts 1 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus says, Disciples, y'all don't need to know the dates and times. That knowledge is not anything that we as believers need to know right now. Paul affirms this in First Thessalonians five. He says about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. You see, instead of us knowing an exact date and time of Christ's return, Paul says that His return will be like a thief in the night. It'll be shocking. You didn't see it coming. It is unexpected. It's a surprise. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says, look, I am coming like a thief. Jesus is saying here, verse 32, the angels of heaven don't know the day or the hour and neither does the sun. Okay, press pause here. Why does Jesus not know the day of his return. Okay, does this minimize his sovereignty? Does this passage deny his deity? Does the fact that Jesus is saying this mean that he is not all-knowing, thus he's not God? Well, the answer is no. Jesus is God. He has always existed as God the Son, There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. And yet simply put, when the Son left the glory of heaven and came to earth, when Jesus took on human nature and human flesh, he did not surrender his deity, but he did lay aside his glory. In John 17, verse 5, Jesus prayed, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, man, is there so much to unpack right there in that verse alone. But Jesus is praying to his Father in John 17, 5. And he is requesting the glory that was already his from before the foundations of the earth had ever been laid. Now, here's what's key. Isaiah 42 verse 8, God says, I will never give my glory to another. God will not share his glory. Therefore, here is Jesus describing his glory that was his, that he already possessed in eternity past. And it's glory that belongs to God alone. So then John 17, five points to the fact that Jesus is God. So why doesn't Jesus know Mark 13, 32 the day of his return. It's because he laid aside his glory in his incarnation. Okay, as the eternal son of God, Jesus relinquished the free exercise of his divine omniscience. Okay, so Jesus, who's always existed in eternity past as God the Son, has the glory of God all throughout eternity past, but he laid his glory aside. And when he took on human flesh, he kept his deity. He was fully God. And yet there were components of his deity, of his his glory that he leaves behind to take on human flesh. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, what did he do? Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. So what did he do? But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you want to know what humility looks like, look at Jesus. Recognize what he did by emptying himself of some of his divine attributes to take on flesh, to become like one of us, so that he could identify with us, so that he might bear the punishment for sin at the cross. This is something I learned this week, and I was like, "This is this is mind blowing." Here is that here is Jesus, fully God and fully man, and when He was born, as we celebrate at Christmas, as He takes on human flesh, He left His glory up in heaven, and He humbled Himself, and He took on the form of a servant. The one who spoke the constellations into existence is born in a stable. The one who sustains the universe by the word of his power is the one who gets on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his disciples. The one who deserves all glory and honor and power is the one who goes to the cross. And because he left his glory... And he came, we see not only his humility, but his love. The love that God has for you, where Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. Because he was willing to forego the glory that was his. So that he might identify with you. He might experience what you experience. He might be tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. And the eternal son of God takes on the form of a servant. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. For that is where Jesus takes your sin. He dies in your place where his blood is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he did it because he was willing to leave his glory behind and take on human flesh. So do not let Jesus' lack of knowledge in verse 32 undercut your confidence in his deity. But rather let his lack of knowledge of the exact date of his return display and point you to his humility. Humility. That through his humanity, he might come and rescue you. Now that is complex. And I'm I'm getting a few blanks there. So I hope you're with me. But I hope you'll see that here when Jesus says, "I, I don't know the day of my return. As he says it here in verse 32. It's not because he's not God. He's fully God. But these are things of knowledge that he has left in heaven. So that he could fully identify with you. Because if Jesus maintained his full glory when he came to earth, everyone would die in an instant. We saw what happens in the Old Testament when someone sees the glory of God, they die immediately. And so he foregoes that. But I want you to know this right now, hold on to this right now, the risen Christ the reigning king, the one who is seated on the throne, high and exalted. As of right now, Jesus certainly knows the day of his return. He knows what day he's coming right now. And there is a day set in which he will return. Now, as for us, we do not know the day. We don't know when he's coming. But what we do know is what we should be doing until he comes. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, watch. Be alert. Here is a double command that Jesus is giving his followers. That word for watch, it means to be sleepless. Like a shepherd with his head up, giving constant vigilant uh, watching over his sheep to make sure that they're, they're protected and cared for. So too are you and I to keep our head up, keep watch over the days that are coming, anticipating his return. Like a good soldier who's got his head up, watching over his post, making sure that the enemy does not infiltrate the ranks, so too are we to have our head up, to be looking for and anticipating his return. Head up, paying attention, question, have you allowed your head to drop? Have you allowed your heart and life to get wrapped up with civilian affairs? Have you allowed the temptations of this world to distract you from this soon return of Christ? Have you allowed the the enticement of what's happening around you to distract you from what is to come? Are you more in love with this world or with the world that is to come? may you and I be found faithful so that on the day of Christ Jesus, when he returns and comes back to rescue his church, we are found with our heads up. The second thing we see in the text that we are to be doing as we prepare for his return is not just to have our heads up, but we are to roll your sleeves up, to be found working when Jesus comes Here in the text, Jesus illustrates what his followers are to be doing at his return. Verse 34, he says, It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Okay, Jesus is that man who left, who gave authority to his servants, His servants are to run his house. His servants are to manage his affairs until he comes. Verse 35, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming. We be found busy working for the Lord. So let me ask you a question. How do you think most people would act if they knew the date of Christ's return? If people knew the day of Jesus is coming back, How would people act? How would you act? My guess, knowing human nature, is that many, not all, many, would become lazy, lethargic, taking it easy. (laughs) Jesus isn't coming back for a few more decades. I can just enjoy my time. I will wait until that day, and then I'll get right with God. You know what, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy and do what I want to do. Because you know what, he's not coming back anytime soon. I already know the date that he's coming. I'm going to enjoy the good life, and then I'll just straighten up before he comes. You see, if that was the case, the church would not be about the priority of verse 10. The church would neglect the necessity and the urgency of getting the gospel preached to all nations. Laziness would ensue as Christians would settle into this world. We would snuggle up to the worldly temptations around us. If we knew when Jesus was coming back, there would be no great commission urgency. We would be a people who would not work hard for the glory of God. I love how Jesus words, verse 34, the master, he gave each one his work. Hear me on this. God has given you a job to do. He has given you a task, a a chore, something to do until he returns. We are to be rolling our sleeves up and getting about the business of working for the kingdom. Now, this work is not for your salvation. Let's make sure we're clear upon that. As followers of Jesus, we don't work for our salvation. We're not trusting in our good works to make us right with God. We're trusting in the good works of Jesus for us on our behalf. We work from our salvation, not for our salvation. That's key. That's all throughout the scriptures. And yet simultaneously, because of the work of Jesus for us on our behalf, we are motivated, we desire to go and labor for the Lord. It's like Paul says it like this in Philippians 2. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. You see, God has given you and I a job to do, to build his kingdom, to be working as we anticipate his soon return. We're to be a people who be about the task that has been laid out for us. And see, as followers of Christ, we are charged to work hard for the glory of God. Sitting on the sideline is not an option. Watching as a fan in the stands is not the task. God has gifted you by the Holy Spirit with a gift, if not many gifts, to use These abilities that God has given to you, they are not for you to build your brand or for you to build your platform or for you to become famous and make a lot of money. God has given you abilities to build his kingdom. We are a people who play for for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back, Okay. We're here to build the kingdom of Christ, to make much of him and to labor, to give our lives, to be working, to advance his mission. For some of you, God has gifted you with the, the gift of evangelism. And you are to use that gift to be verbally, regularly sharing the gospel. Now, some of you don't have the gift of evangelism, but God has still called all of us to evangelize. It's not something just for a select few. All of us are to be about sharing the gospel and telling people about Christ. Here's reality. There are people in your life who won't come to church or come and sit and listen to a preacher. God is calling you and he has equipped you by the Holy Spirit to go and tell, to go and preach the gospel. God has equipped some of you with the gift of hospitality. You're able to create comfortable environments in which you can make people connect and build and form meaningful relationships. God has given some of you the gift of administration, be able to organize and to plan. That's not my gift, y'all. I'm so thankful I got smart people around me. (laughs) If we were, I could not plan a one-car funeral procession. I just couldn't do it, okay? Some of you, you can do it in your sleep. Use that gift. Use what God has given to you. You may be thinking, well, nobody's called me. Don't wait for a phone call. Use it. Look for opportunities and seize it. Create something. You see, we are to be about building the kingdom. Don't be found as that wicked and lazy servant that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. Now, we're to be the faithful and wise servant. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 46, blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Here, Jesus is coming, y'all. Let's be busy about the kingdom, Okay. Use your gifts. Look for opportunities to serve and then step up and serve. Now, many of us have fantastic intentions. Let's put those intentions to work. Be looking for those opportunities. Use your gifts to be working for the Lord until he comes. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So here's my question. When Jesus comes back, what will you be found doing? That's a sobering question. Let this question marinate for a moment. For how you answer this question it not only dictates the direction of your life, but the decisions that you make in your life. You see, this question can help protect us from sin, right? If Jesus were to come back right now, would I be ashamed of what I'm doing? If Jesus were to come back right now, would I be ashamed of what I'm thinking or, fe- or, 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 or feeling or saying? It's a great question, sobering question. This question helps protect you from sin, But this question also motivates you towards obedience. That if Jesus were to come back right now, would I be diligently giving him my best? Would I be laboring for his kingdom, loving my spouse the way that he has called me to, to lead my children the way he has called me to, to be working at my job for the glory of God, not for a paycheck, not for fame or for status, but for the sake of bringing glory to him? Am I giving him my best? I was having a conversation this week with a senior saint in our church in which she shared with me, Kenneth, I've been praying lately that when my body goes out, God would still give me my mind so that when I'm stuck in a rocking chair, I can continue to work through prayer. May God raise up thousands of more just like her. That's some of the best work you can do is on your knees. Seeking the Lord. Interceding on behalf of his people. Praying for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. Praying that God would give holy boldness to his workers and to his saints. May this mark us as followers of Jesus that we work hard for the glory of God. Not to be saved, but because we already are. And we want to give our lives that's gonna, to something that's gonna last a lot longer than this brief temporary life. That we are a people who are laboring for a kingdom that goes on forever and ever. And so as we prepare for Jesus's return, keep your head up, roll your sleeves up, and then number three, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Be awake and watching when Jesus comes. In his illustration regarding his return, Jesus commanded the doorkeeper, verse 34, be alert. So he tells his disciples, verse 35, therefore, be alert. Okay, this phrase shows up repeatedly throughout the passage. Verse 33, be alert. Verse 34, be alert. Verse 35, be alert. Verse 37, be alert. This is a call to perpetual readiness. Perpetual readiness. Jesus gives verse, verse 35 the four segments of the Roman timetable at night. You don't know where he's going to come? He, he could come anywhere from the first segment of the evening. it could be midnight, it could be the crowing of the rooster, it could be early morning. The doorkeeper that Jesus describes here is one whose job is to stay awake throughout the night. He's constantly ready for the return of the master to the house. That the doorkeeper, he doesn't know when when the owner, when the master's coming back, So he must be on alert. He must be ready. Otherwise, verse 36, when he suddenly comes, he might find you sleeping. The warning that Jesus is giving here is the danger of being spiritually asleep When the Son of Man returns, question, are you awake and ready for Christ to return? If not, wake up, be alert, be watchful, be prepared, be one who is a wise and awake servant. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of what's called the Ten Virgins, You have five who are prepared and ready and you have five who are not. And those who are prepared and ready, when the bridegroom comes, they got up and went with him into the wedding banquet. The five who were not ready, they did not get to come in and they were cast out forever. Which one are you? Will you be one who is found awake and ready at the return of Christ? not spiritually sleepy, not mailing it in, not taking it easy, not taking a spiritual retirement, saying I'm gonna eat, drink, and enjoy my life while I've got a little bit of time left. No, 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 may that not be said of us. May we be a people who are laboring and preparing for that great and glorious day when Jesus comes back, that we're found watchful, we are awake, we are prepared and ready Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. He says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be self-controlled. Question, are you spiritually asleep? Are you mailing it in? Are you trying to take it easy until Jesus comes back? I'm not sure about you, but I want to be sprinting across the finish line. I want to give, leave everything on the field so that when Jesus comes back, I'm ready. What about you? It's gonna take all of us seeking to make much of Jesus, honoring him, working for him, laboring for him, but staying awake and prepared. In fact, this is your impact point. Wake up and be ready. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. Will you be ready? Will you be alert? Will you be prepared for this soon coming king. Do you remember how the Lord told his people to take the Passover back in Egypt? He told them, put your clothes on, have your staff in your hand, and you be ready to go. Why? Because soon you're getting out of here. So as we worship the Lord, as we honor the Lord, let's do so with a readiness and an expectation of what is to come. Here's how I want to close the sermon morning. It's a little bit different than I normally do, but I want to read some New Testament passages over you to help prepare you for this day. Now, there's not going to be anything on stage. I'm not going to do anything silly, but I want to invite you, would you just bow your head and close your eyes and let the word just marinate in your heart? The reality is this, Jesus is coming back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. He is coming soon, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And so we wait eagerly for our blessed hope The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming to save us. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For the crown of righteousness awaits all who have loved his appearing. For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And what I say to you I say to everyone, be alert.